This is Radio Energy News. Good afternoon, this is Edinburgh Napier News with our latest roundup. I'm Neil Johnston. They say good things come to those who wait. Well, last night for Scottish football fans, the wait was finally over as they celebrated Scotland's victory to secure a place in Euro 2020. After an agonising 22 years without qualification to a major tournament, the country celebrates. Christopher Henson has the full story. The sound of long overdue success. Songs rang around the streets of the capital last night as Scots revelled in the most important football result in decades for the national team. The nation is celebrating as Scotland ended 22 years of hurt and secured qualification for the European Championships, defeating Serbia in a nail-biting penalty shootout in Belgrade. This will be Scotland's first appearance at a major tournament since the 1998 World Cup in France, an achievement which is not lost on the team's supporters. I spoke to Gregor Hunter, a lifelong Scotland supporter who was not alive for the 98 World Cup, about what the result meant for Scotland. Diane Doig is a member of the Tartan Army, the largest football supporter group in Scotland. She was overjoyed with the result, and I asked her what it means to the die-hard supporters who suffered 22 years of heartbreak. Oh, I think it means everything. I mean, everything's been, well, as you know, everything's been so depressing recently, and just, like, the very fact that it's brought a smile to everybody's face, actually, I think. It's amazing how a football result can do that, eh? Yeah, I think especially during this time, it's probably fairly um, typical of Scotland to actually qualify for a tournament in the first time for however many years, 22 years, and we can't all be together and party, of course. Oh, of course. Um, do you remember the 1998 World Cup? Yes. I was over there for that. Oh, wow. Long wait then. Yeah, long wait. Yeah, we go, we go all over with Scotland, actually. We go to all the games, so heartbreaking, those journeys. But, um, so, yeah, just this once, it's nice to have that happy feeling. It was actually the first thought that came into my head when I woke up this morning. I thought, oh, my God, we actually won. In an emotional interview, goalscorer Ryan Christie expressed his delight that the victory had given the nation something to celebrate after a difficult year. It's been a horrible year for everyone. We knew that coming into the game, we could give a little something to this country and uh, I hope everyone back home is on our party tonight. It's been confirmed this morning that Dominic Cummings is set to leave number 10 at the end of the year, after news emerged of a power struggle within the Tory party. Kate Brown reports. A senior Downing Street source has said that Dominic Cummings is expected to leave number 10 by Christmas. 
Transport Secretary Grant Shapps said that Cummings would be missed as he confirmed that Boris Johnson's controversial advisor is to leave his job by the end of the year. Well, in a sense, I'm not particularly surprised because he wrote uh, right at the beginning of the year in January that he planned to make himself uh, redundant by the end of the year with Brexit and the transition period finally over. Um, so I'm not, I'm not particularly um, surprised advisors come and go over a period of time. Cummings is best known for running the Vote Leave campaign during the Brexit vote in 2016, before he came under fire at the beginning of this year for breaking lockdown rules. The PM's chief advisor was reported to have made a trip to Barnard Castle to test his eyesight while he was showing symptoms of COVID-19. He later tested negative, however many politicians and members of the public still called for Cummings to be sacked. At the time, the Prime Minister had refused. The departure of Cummings follows news that the Prime Minister's communications chief is also quitting and amid reports of a behind-the-scenes power struggle. Tory MP Roger Gale says it's not the right time for the government to be focused on internal squabbles. For my money, Mr Cummings has become a distraction. I think he's been a malign influence at the centre of Downing Street for too long and it's right that he should go. And now in other national news. Peter Sutcliffe, infamously known as the Yorkshire Ripper, has died today at the age of 74. The serial killer was sentenced to 20 life terms at Franklin Prison in 1981 for the murder of 13 women across Yorkshire and northwest England. Sutcliffe, who was recently diagnosed with coronavirus, was admitted to hospital where he refused treatment. He had several underlying health conditions. Government figures have shown that a quarter of homeless people in Wales who were previously provided with accommodation are now back on the streets. At the beginning of lockdown, 407 rough sleepers were given a place to stay by the Welsh Government but latest figures show 101 of them are now living rough again. The Welsh Government says that it is still providing funding to prevent homelessness during the COVID-19 pandemic, but charity shelter Cymru have called these figures desperately disappointing. Police Scotland have launched an appeal for witnesses to come forward after a fatal gyrocopter crash in the Black Isles. A 67-year-old man died as a result of the crash when the aircraft plummeted into a field, which took place yesterday afternoon near Avic on the Moray Firth. Detective Inspector Brian Geddes of Police Scotland has asked anyone for any relevant footage of the aircraft before or during the crash to contact police on 101. And now with the COVID roundup, here's Dylan Cummings. Another 600,000 Scots entered level 3 COVID restrictions today in Angus, Fife and Perth and Kinross. All three areas have had a steep rise in cases as those already in level 3 stabilised. Ros McCall, a Conservative councillor for Perth and Kinross, understands the reasons why, but is concerned for local businesses. There is a disappointment and personally that we have moved from tier two to tier three as much as i totally understand the reason why we have to do that it is very disappointing for local businesses that's glen eagles hotel just stating that they're going to be closing now entirely over the festive period and not opening up until the beginning of next year so that's going to have a real detrimental effect on businesses in the areas the scottish government is considering moving greater glasgow and clyde and lanarkshire council areas to level four as revealed in today's briefing by deputy first minister john sweeney this comes after today's figures show a further 56 people have died in Scotland with COVID-19 in the last 24 hours. Jobs at Logan Air are at risk. The Scottish airline may have to cut up to 165 jobs, with 26 jobs being affected at Edinburgh Airport. They intend to use the furlough scheme to support as many jobs as possible. Mainland Greece has been added to Scotland's quarantine list. Those travelling to the Mediterranean country will have to self-isolate for two weeks. However, the five Greek islands remain exempt from quarantine rules. That's your COVID roundup for today, back to you in the studio. Five years ago today, 130 people were killed in the terrorist attacks in Paris, leaving the world in shock. People were brutally murdered by the result of three coordinated attacks. 
the Stade de France Stadium, popular venues in central Paris, and at the Bataclan concert where hostages were held. Now, five years later, France is back on high alert after more jihadist attacks. This morning, representatives of the capital are visiting the sites of the attacks and laying flowers to pay tribute. Due to lockdown restrictions, not many people are able to participate. Six attacks coordonnées en 33 minutes. Les terrasses d'un bar et d'un restaurant, le petit Cambodge, viennent d'être prises pour cible. Aux aguets. France marked five years since its worst ever terrorist attack when jihadists killed 130 people and injured hundreds of others in a Paris concert hall, le Bataclan, bars, cafes and outside a sports stadium. The attacks profoundly shook France and left the country under a state of emergency that lasted two years. The commemoration of the attack started this morning at 9 a.m. Paris time, led by the Prime Minister Jean Castex and the Mayor of Paris, Anne Hidalgo, starting at the football stadium, Le Stade de France, and then throughout the street of Paris where the attacks happened, before ending at 10.45 Paris time in front of the concert hall of the Bataclan. Our correspondent is in Paris at the moment. Grace, you are in Paris at the moment. Why is this commemoration different than the previous ones? This year is really different because of the lockdown. So, so only a few people participate to the commemoration this year. How's the atmosphere in Paris at the moment? So we can we can feel the atmosphere is tense because of the recent uh, terrorism uh, terrorism attack in Paris. Yes. And because of the the start of the trial in January here in Paris. There will be a trial in January in 2021, right? Yes, with 20 persons, uh, with one who was in the Bataclan and 18 um, suspects. The commemoration follows a cluster of recent terrorist attacks across Europe, which has forced the United Kingdom to raise their terror threat level to severe. And Stephanie Allison has the sport. Away from last night's football and Scotland's rugby team are in action at the Autumn Nations. Scotland last met their upcoming opponents Italy back in February at the Six Nations where their three tries earned them a 17-0 victory. The game gets underway in Florence tomorrow. It's day two of the Masters in Augusta where Paul Casey is holding fast at the top of the leaderboard at seven under par. He said he isn't letting this year's exceptional circumstances get in the way of a great performance. This season's been flat. Um, I've looked forward to this week for a long time. Um, you know, I know there's no patrons out there, but um, it's a golf course I love to play. Uh, the chance to play it in 2020 in a very different situation was something I was looking forward to, and I've put together a great round of golf today. And ahead of the Turkish Grand Prix on Sunday, practice two is underway with Lewis Hamilton gunning for a record-equaling seventh world title. And that's your sport. Let's head back to Neil. Today marks the second day of Diwali, a five-day festival of light celebrated across the world by millions of Hindus and Jains. Due to present Covid restrictions, Diwali will be difficult for many this year. Our culture editor Maggie Williams spoke to Yugendra Singh in Himachal Pradesh, India to find out how Diwali is traditionally celebrated. My hometown, it 
decorate our homes with light, with candles. Kids, they play with crackers. Yeah, we celebrate with lots of sweets. We give our relatives lots of gifts. We buy new clothes and we make lots of kind of food. Like lots of vegetables, sweets, and we pray for cow, we give cow, we feed all cow good food, and we pray for them, yeah, we make like a little kind of ceremony for them, and I want to say everybody, happy Diwali. A lot of celebrations in Edinburgh, and indeed the rest of the UK, have had to be cancelled this year. However, people are being encouraged to celebrate virtually and in their own homes. An Edinburgh-based charity, Scottish Love in Action, have put together special Diwali dinner boxes with candles, sparklers and spices. In addition, Girl Up Edinburgh have organised a virtual evening of Bangor dance, films, cooking and discussions. We spoke to our man, an Edinburgh student, to find out how he is planning to celebrate Diwali and what he'll miss the most. How will you be celebrating Diwali this year? Obviously there's not a lot you can do because of COVID. but I'm just going to try and do as much as I can in my own house so I'm going to light up diyas which are these these earthen lamps that are like a specialty for Diwali at least one in every room I have dinner with some with some friends from India we're just going to be eating some Indian food what aspect of the festival will you miss the most this year definitely between people and firecrackers this is my first Diwali either outside India or like without family. It's kind of strange not having like a whole community. My favorite thing about Diwali is, you know, constantly bursting firecrackers. And I think it's it's less intense in, in the UK and outside India. But in India, you really get really loud, rattling kind of like the whole night is just explosions. Yeah, there's millions of people all over India. You kind of bursting firecrackers that's it, it's, it's amazing to listen to it just like sitting outside your home and even if you're not doing it yourself you can hear like the whole country celebrating this one festival and uh, that's something i'll definitely miss because you you feel like you feel like you really feel like you're not alone like there's there's you know you really feel connected to everyone around but otherwise in india it's, it's mad like it's insane just listening to i mean all the firecrackers at night and just kind of going out with your friends and just having fun and i want to say everybody and enjoy life Life is beautiful gift, so we should enjoy and celebrate all festival together. Happy Diwali! And from all of us here at Radio Energy, happy Diwali and have a great weekend.